We have a beautiful, a great, great friend of this congregation uh, coming to minister to you this morning. An incredible word for the fathers and the entire church family here this morning. Steve Bach has been an evangelist, missionary evangelist, has been a, a, a great communicator across the nation, around the world. He was the state youth director for the Assemblies of God here in Michigan uh, for many years. I want you to put your hands together as Steve Bach comes to minister God's word. God bless you, Steve. Praise the Lord. God is good. <laughs> Pastor Howe needs to bring my, he took my books. If he can get them for me, I'll, I don't know what he did with them. He get them somewhere. But uh, it just, I'm just honored to, to be here today. Um, I'm so excited also. My, my wife's not always able to be with me, but she's with me today. And I had to look around to find her. But uh, where do you go there? There you are, honey. Stand up. My wife, Lana, she is my best friend in the world. And my sister-in-law, Linda, God bless you, Linda. And my nephew, Jason, and his family, good to see you. God bless you. You're getting ready to do this building uh, meeting. It's a good thing. I'm going to just take a moment, and the pastor didn't ask me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Thank you. Um, 85% of those that get saved get saved between the ages of 4 and 14. 85%. That's because young children, young people are full of faith. They're young, they're tender, they're pliable, they're open. Jesus said, of the kingdom of God, such are these, speaking of the little ones. 90% will be saved by the age of 25. Because they're still full of faith and got a vision. They want to make their life count. They want to do something for God. And then those who get saved after 25, you're a real miracle. And sometimes adults want to put a lot of emphasis on their comforts as adults. They like big sanctuaries and things that are plushy for them. And children are to kind of be seen but not heard. It's kind of like babysitting. You know, I like to see... Kids, when they're, when they're, the best way to babysit children to me is to make them pucker and stick them to the wall. <laughs> but sometimes we put a lot of big bucks into creature comforts for the adults because the adults, they pay the bills. And the adults put the money in the offering. And the adults help the pastor feed the hungry, his wife and children. <laughs> but if you're going to build the kingdom of God... You minister to babies. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You minister to young people because they will receive the gospel. I shared this stat some years ago at the Fenton AG Church, and there was an old black lady in, in a wheelchair, and she said, uh-huh, that's right, Pastor. Mm -hmm. You need to reach some babies. Mm -hmm. So after the service, I went to this lady, and I said, how old were you when you received Christ? She says, I was five years old when I gave my life to Jesus. I said, how old are you now? I don't normally ask young ladies that, but how old are you now? She says, I'm 102. What I'm saying to you, that sometimes when your children come home and say, Mom and Daddy, I got saved today. We say, great, now go clean your, go clean your room. Yes. 
They are born again by the blood of Christ, rebirthed by the Spirit of the living God. It works. But I just want to prove to you these stats are true. You mind if I take a moment and do that? Let me tell you why we need to build all these facilities for these babies and these young people. Because they're going to get saved and they need to grow in the faith. Jesus didn't say just make converts. He said make disciples. So you've got to teach these babies. Paul said this about Timothy. Continue thou in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing that from a child you have learned the Holy Scriptures that make you wise into salvation because you learned them first from your mama and your grandma. Sunday school is important. Christian education is important. We need to make disciples, not superstars. But I'm going to if you came to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14, would you please stand and remain standing, please? Just stand. You guys stay between the ages of 4 and 14 in the balcony as well. That's quite a number, isn't it? Remain standing. If you were saved by the age of 25, would you please stand? Almost everybody in this church house is standing. Now, if, you got, if you're not standing, either you got saved after 25, or I need you to come to Jesus today. <laughs> Amen. But just look around. Look around. All right, you may be seated. Now, let me say this to you. <clears throat> Thank you. Sometimes pastors have great visions. And sometimes pastors will even bring their people into debt. And then God calls them someplace else. Your pastor has been serving you as a shepherd for almost 30 years. Give him a hand. He has a proven track record, a ministry that's excellent, a life that pleases the Lord. He has respect of the leadership here and you folks as well. He's not some fly-by-night guy that just wants to blow in, blow up, and blow out. That's what evangelists do. He loves you when you're good. He loves you when you're under construction. He loves you in good days and tough days, but he's there to shepherd you. He's just not your preacher. He's just not your minister. He is your shepherd. He has stood with you in the middle of the night. He has stood with you in your storms. He stood with you in your hardships. He's helped to, to baptize your babies and dedicate your babies and baptize your young people and bury your, you know, your, your loved ones. He's been there in the hospital. He's been there through emergencies. He's been in your marital crisis, in your financial crisis. He's given you wise counsel. And this man of God and his wife have given their souls to this work, to this community, to this, this part of the world that God has called them there. And now God is placing his heart in those others in leadership saying, we need to take this work up to another level. I know you're going to do what you need to do. There's always those that's going to say, nah. That's because that's how human nature is. But the majority are going to stand. The majority are going to say, we believe. And so you believe with your vote. Believe with your promise. Believe with your pocketbook. Be faithful so the word of God and the work of God can take that other level so this church can be that light that God wants it to be in this community. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Praise God. I just want to share my heart with you. Let me take a moment just as one brief commercial. I have two books with me. The first one is called I Found Life Through Suicide. Kind of a strange title, but that's what happened. My, my father took his life, but it brought me to a place of, of uh, seeking a journey to, to find the meaning of life for me. And I came to know Christ, but his death 
promoted me to start the journey, and I found the Lord. So I talk about the issue of suicide. Sometimes the church hasn't been kind to that subject. Sometimes we just hide it and no one ever talk about it. But we need to talk about it. And um, this, this book here will bring healing to those who have lost a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, a work associate. You know, someone that's going through some severe depression, I pray this book would bring healing to them. Also, um, uh, some time ago, my wife went through the pain of divorce, and she wrote a book of hope. It's called Single Again, Not by Choice. If you're going through separation or through divorce and your world's turned upside down, you need something to give you some direction, give you something to hope about, something to believe again, this book here will be a blessing to you. I asked $10 for each book. It keeps me alive and helps us to feed the hungry. Our wife, my wife and our kids. <laughs> Amen. All right. So uh, let's just pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray that the Word of God will find a very special place of rest in our hearts today. I thank you for Father's Day. And I pray, Lord, as we look at the heart of the Father, that we can see you, Lord, in a different capacity. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, turn with me, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Luke 15, 11, where we're going to go. Now, in this parable, or, uh, or in this chapter, Jesus gave, gives three parables. He talks about the lost uh, sheep. He talks about the lost coin. And now he's talking about the lost son, the lost kid. If you've been in the church world for a while, you've heard the story about the prodigal, but I believe that today I'm going to try to give a different twist to it. I hope that uh, it will find strength in your spirit today as we honor our fathers on Father's Day. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would just, uh, just do this now. Just do it. Just do, do what you have sent your word to do. I pray our hearts just be open just to, to receive, just really truly receive from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. How many of you here, how many of you here today have children? There's not a thing you can do about it. <laughs> this man had two sons and the younger son, say younger. Okay. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me. Stop right there for just a minute. The younger son said, Father, give me. See, when you're immature, the world centers around you. Just the way it is, because you're immature. I really enjoy watching parents who have their first child and how they watch over that baby. It's fun to watch. When that young couple has their first baby and friends come by to see it, they look at their friends and say, don't breathe on my kid. As soon as the kid sneezes, 911. But after you have a few babies, the kid gags, turns blue, passes out, and you as a parent say, ah, oh, they'll be okay. <laughs> we just kind of go through that evolution. And sometimes parents think that the first words that comes out of that baby's mouth is either mama, oh, he said mama, or Daddy, 
Oh, he's calling my name. In the middle of the night, they call your name, don't they? Yeah. But the first words that comes out of a baby's mouth has never, ever been mama or daddy. It's never happened in the history of humanity. The very first words that comes out of a child's mouth, the first word is no. <laughs> Can I see that? No. The second word is mine. Can I see that? No. Mine. Mine. Everything is mine. If your child has grandparents, then I know your child has 10,000 toys. <laughs> and your kid is playing with all of his toys. Another little kid comes to visit. He's looking at an old rag doll that's had his head tore off and eyeballs pulled out. And he goes to play with this old rag doll. And Junior will come over and get that doll and drag it over here and say, No, mine. Is that right? Because they think the world centers around themselves. It doesn't get any better when they become teenagers. <laughs> See, you as a parent, your primary role in life as, as an adult is to sign your check over to your kid. Your kid says, give me the keys, give me the car, and don't ask any questions. That's your primary purpose. <laughs> and the first time you ever say no to your child, that teenager, you have to understand, by the way, when the kid is 12, they're sweet. But when the, when the number of their age goes from 12 to 13, when it's got the teen part and the age number, it comes with a free attitude. <laughs> and you say no to them, they go... <clears throat> And so the first time you say no to them as a teenager, we have this universal song that all teenagers sing. It goes something like this. You never buy me. You never take me. You never do anything for me. Oh, they sing that in your house too. It's because they're immature and or stupid. It just comes with age. It's all right. It just comes with it. The younger son, the immature son, said what average teenagers say, give me my share of the estate. What he was saying was, Dad, I wish you were dead. You see, how it works is you don't receive an inheritance until somebody dies. But he's saying, Dad, would you just kick the bucket? If you can't do that real quick, then just slip me the cash. It'll be our secret. <laughs> so the kid said, Dad, give me my share of the estate. What did he do to earn it? Nothing. But he has a right in his head to it. So he says, Dad, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. No, what did he have? He had all of Dad's stuff. He didn't earn it. It's kind of like kids think that they, they, they have certain rights. Have you ever had a teenager say to you, 
mom, dad, were you in my room today? <laughs> you guys liking this? Are you enjoying this? Hope you're enjoying this. I'm enjoying it. Dad, mom, you were in my room today. In my house, we had this, we had this department. It's called the Family Bureau of Investigation, FBI. We check on them. Anyway, and I would say, what do you mean was I in your room? Did you buy this room? Did you pay the mortgage? Did you make the down payment? Did you buy that bed? Did you buy the sheets? Did you buy the pillows? Did you buy the dressers? No. All of it's mine. The underwear, that underwear is yours. It's not mine. <laughs> You know, so the kid got together all that dad had, and he went off to a distant country. Now, why did the kid go to a distant country? Because he wanted to party his brains out. You see, anytime you're in rebellion against authority, anytime you're in rebellion against family, anytime you're in rebellion against God, that rebellion, that sin will always drive you away from those who love you. And it will take you to a distant country. He didn't want anyone to tell him no. He didn't want anyone to tell him you can't do that, you shouldn't do that. He wanted to be free to express himself and find himself and discover his identity. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was a problem. All the cash was gone. The debit card was empty. The credit card got maxed out. There was no money. There was no honey. There was no fun. Now we got a problem. And the scripture says, verse 15, that, or verse 14 says that he spent everything he had and there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. But I think the famine wasn't just an economical fam, uh, 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 famine. I don't think it was just an agricultural famine. I think there's a famine in the guy's soul. Sometimes we can be poverty stricken in our spirit. We're somehow desperately trying to find a reason to live. We're trying to find a purpose. We're trying to find a, a, a reason to, uh, to exist. And yet there's nothing there. The guy had tried it all as far as the world's standards concerned and parting his brains out and affairs and all that kind of stuff and still coming up empty. The famine was inside, not outside. And the Bible says... So he went, verse 15, and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, the citizen of the, of the distant country. It wasn't his hometown. It wasn't his family's country. It was a distant country who sent him to feed pigs. He went to slop hogs. You see, the kid was acting like a pig, hanging out with a bunch of pigs, smelling like a pig, and therefore that's what he was. He was a pig. Jesus was writing this to a Jewish audience. He was speaking to a bunch of Jews. And Jews do not embrace pig herding. The lowest thing in the mind of a Jew would be to be a pig herder. This boy's father was a man of means. This boy's father was in business. This boy's father had many employees. This boy was, had a privileged life, yet he threw it all away because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. 
So when you act like a pig, you're going to smell like a pig. Now, this was a non-union shop. It was not OSHA, you know, approved. His pay was he got the privilege to stick his head in the same bucket that the pigs were eating. The same slop he got to eat. The Bible says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. So here he is checking out his life. He's looking at all of his friends, just a bunch of pigs. They're all saying the same thing. Oink, oink, oink. <laughs> Smell is not the best. Calvin Klein would have had a real, real job trying to make that boy smell good. So he's sitting here with all these pigs in the pigsty. And the Bible says something interesting, verse 17, that he came to his senses. Now, to come to your senses means that one time then you had to leave them. He had to kiss his brains goodbye. And sometimes people kiss their brains goodbye because they want to do what they want to do and they don't understand there's a consequence. There is a, there's an action and a reaction. There is a payment due. But the Bible says this boy came back to his right mind. He came to his senses. And this is what he said. He began to check out his life, check out his decisions, his choices, then think about his future. How many of my father's hired men, so he had more than one, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And I'm just eating pig slop. How many of my father's men have food to spare and I'm starving to death? Verse 18, he made a great statement. He said, I will go out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me stop here for just a minute. He came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, what was in his heart was to be reconciled to his dad. But to do that, he knew he had to take the first step. You know what that was? It was repentance. He began to acknowledge his behavior. He said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He humbled himself, began to repent in his spirit. You know, repentance is not your enemy. Repentance is your friend. Because when we repent and we turn around and come back to God and we acknowledge our failures, we're not telling God something he doesn't already know. But he wants us to acknowledge our failures to him and that we're accountable for them. And when we humble ourselves and repent, then it reestablishes re a bridge of communication. It reestablishes a bridge of friendship. So repentance, repentance is your friend, not your enemy. How many of you again have little children? You ever say to your little children not to eat the Oreos? It's almost dinner time. Have you ever done that? And you look at your kids 10 minutes later and they look like chipmunks. They stuff their face with Oreos. They got that chocolate drool coming down their chin on their shirt. And you look at them and you say, have you been eating Oreos? And they go. <laughs> well, they know and you know that they know that they've been eating the Oreos, right? That's how it is with, with the Lord. We've got Oreos stuffed in our cheeks. And God just simply said, just acknowledge the fact that we're sin. And the kid was going to come back to his dad 
repent and say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then he says something interesting. Verse 19, he said, make me like one of your hired men. Make me. Now, in verse 12, he says, give me. When he had all the answers and wasn't even interested in questions. When he thought he had it all together, he said, give me. But now life has tempered him. He's ran into a few two-by-fours. He's run into some opposition. He is not as smart as he thought he was. He didn't have it all together. All of his friends were not true, and reality has set in, and now he simply comes to God. He humbles himself and says, make me. I surrender. Shape it. Make it. Whatever you want it to be, I take my hands off my life. I surrender to you. That's maturity. That's when we grow up. Can you say amen? So he said, make me like one of your hired men. Can I just have a bunk in the bunkhouse? Can I just get a job just doing manual labor? I don't care. I just want a meal and a shower and some clean clothes, and I am eternally thankful. Just let me be like one of your hired men. And then this is very important, the next verse, verse 20. The scripture says, so he got up and went to his father. Oh, church, so many times I've run into people in my life in ministry where I've talked to people about getting right with God. They say to me, you know, I'm not going to do it now, but one day I'm going to get right with God. You run into that, Pastor? And one day when I get right with God, I'm going to be the best Christian anyone ever saw. Oh, man, I'm going to serve God. Bless the Lord. It's going to be wonderful. And, man, the power of God is going to be on me, and my shadow is going to go across people, and they're going to be healed even if they're not sick. One day, one day, one day. I remember a man I call Paul Williams. I was pastoring in northern Michigan. I got up about 4 in the morning, drove to Petoskey to go to this hospital to talk to Paul Williams before they did open heart surgery on him. And I said, Pa, I said, you don't know Jesus. I've come here today to talk to you about accepting Christ. They're going to take your heart out of your chest. They're going to tune it up. They're going to pull the ripcord. Hope it starts. Sir, can I pray with you? Can I bring Jesus into your life? Can I get you ready for heaven? And he looked at me and he said, not today. I buried him three days later. Had another man, a neighbor, come to me and said, listen, my dad is dying. Would you go talk to him about Jesus? I went up to the hospital. The guy was dying with cancer. He was a skeleton with some skin wrapped around it. He was so weak. I said, sir, your daughter asked me to come to talk to you about Jesus. We're running out of time. I don't have time to establish a long friendship. I want you to know that God loves you. God will save you. God will change you. God will come into your life. God will make your life worth living. He'll give you ready, get you ready for heaven. Can I pray with you? And he mumbled something. He was so weak, I couldn't hear him. I put my ear down to his lips, and he said, not today. He was dead in the morning. Listen, the devil don't, doesn't tell people that, they've got to, that they're rejecting God. You know what he says? He says, you got time. But the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation? The devil will say to you, you got time to get it later. Right now, you're young. Right now, you can party. Right now, you can play. Right now, just live for yourself. And just before you draw your last breath, do that Jesus deal and get right with God. But one day when you're not looking, all of a sudden, your life has been taken away from you. And you're going to eternity without Christ, without hope, without God. And it's forever.
And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm not mad at you. I just get worked up. I love you, man. But don't leave this place today without making Jesus your Savior. Please, don't do that. But let's go on. So he said that he went, and he went back to his father. Now let me just stop for just a minute. I don't know how long this boy was in rebellion. If it was just a few weeks, if it was a few months, if it was a few years, I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a time span. Nor does the Bible tell us what the father was doing, but in my mind, I see things. And I see that old man. His heart was broken. He loved his boy. Other family members said, ah, he's a lost cause. Forget about him. He's never going to change. Just don't, don't waste your time thinking about him. Neighbors are saying the same thing. Work associates, business people were saying the same thing. But there was something in that old man. There was a love in his heart for his boy. He was a good dad. And he just kept trusting God to do the work. I don't know if this happened. But in my mind, I can see every morning the old man opens up the window, the curtains, and looks out the window by the kitchen sink as he's making his coffee. And he looked at this terrain, and there was a road that he could see from that window that led to the distant country. And the old man would say, maybe today's the day my son would come home. And at night, he'd close the curtains, and in his heart says, maybe in the morning my boy will be coming home. He did this day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. He never quit believing. He never quit loving. He just kept anticipating. And he opened the curtains like he always did. He had memorized that landscape. He knew every tree and bush and frog. But one day there was something different. He saw something that was out of place. He couldn't put his, his, he couldn't put his hand on it. And he looked and he, he saw a little speck. And that speck got bigger and bigger. Then he realized it was a man coming from the distant country. And as he stared, his heart began to pound just a little bit better. His lips began to quiver. Tears began to go down his face because he recognized the walk. He says, that's my boy. My boy is coming home. And as the boy got to the front yard gate, that old man opened up the door. And his Kmart flip-flops began to go flap, 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 flap. As he ran out onto the porch into the yard and the son begins to repent. He says, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And he's repenting and repenting. And what is the father doing? He's hugging the boy and kissing him, going, the father's love was greater than the son's sin. Any time we take a step of brokenness and repentance to God, he'll get up off that throne and rub to, run to you and hug you. He can't help himself because his love is pure. His mercies is long-suffering. And he's kissing that boy and that boy saying, Dad, I'm getting drool all over myself. And then the father began to snap out orders. He said to the servants, bring, bring the best robe. Put it on my son. I mean, he was dirty. 
and all of our filth and all of our ugliness and all of our shame and all the things we were sorry for were stained by sin. But Jesus comes and the blood of Christ, God's Son, washes away our sin. And He puts on us a robe of righteousness that we belong to the family of God. And He said, bring the ring, the signet ring, the ring that's a sign of sonship, sign of family, that He was completely, totally restored to the family. And He said, bring shoes. You see, only sons and daughters wore shoes. He said, I want everyone to know my family. I want everyone to know my community. I want everyone to know everywhere that this is my son. And he said, bring the fatted calf. Let's kill it and celebrate. And the calf said, wait a minute. You really should be checking out your cholesterol levels. I think turkey is a much better option. <laughs> and notice what the father said. He said, let's feast and let's celebrate. Verse 24, for this son of mine. Stop here. Have you seen those bumper stickers? My son, honor, honor roll student at such and such a middle school and all that. I love one that I saw that said, my son beat up your honor roll student. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> but when your kid does something really good, my boy. When your kid misbehaves, you look at your spouse and say, see what your kid did? But Jesus never disowned his son. The father never disowned his son. You know what he said? This son of mine. The love of the father. This son of mine. He didn't look at the Holy Ghost and say, this son of yours. He said, this son of mine was dead in trespasses and sin. But now he's alive again. He was lost. And when he was lost, he does what lost people do. But now he's found. Can you say amen? The story, church, is not about the prodigal. That goofy teenager who was under construction. It was really about the love of the Father. This Father's Day message is that the love of the Father is going to love us in good times and bad times. I've said to my children, I may not always approve of what you do, but I will always love you. You don't have the power to cause me not to love you. I will always love you. I may be in your grill. But I will always love you. Can you say amen? amen? Let me close with this. Pastor Chris asked me to share this story, so I will. I wasn't raised as a church kid. As a matter of fact, I used to go by the Catholic church by my house and play in the holy water and blow out the candles. I thought it was somebody's birthday. I have no idea how many people I left in purgatory. I really don't. Um, I really did that. I really... I didn't know. I was just a heathen. Um, my dad was a good man. But he was bound. He fought the war, World War II. He, he fought the entire war during the South Pacific. 
He was, for some of you men would know, he was in the Bataan Death March. He survived that. He'd been captured, he escaped, been shot, been stabbed. Brown Star, Purple Hearts. But every night of his life, he was at war. I cannot tell you how many times I heard my dad be sleeping and dreaming, saying, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. We'd have to go try to wake him up, shake him by the toe so he'd get hit. My dad drank to try to numb some of the memories of the war. Became a chronic alcoholic. Saw my dad go up and down the alleys of Detroit, staggering, his hands on the wall so he didn't fall over. Every night, about 2.30 in the morning, I hear my dad hit the floor. Boom! Because they closed the bars at 2.30, so he'd come in, hit the floor, and I'd watch my dad crawl on his hands and knees trying to make it to bed. He was never mean to me. Every whipping I got, I deserved him. I had a lot of respect for my dad, and I gave my dad a wide pass because I never had to kill anybody. I was never in hand-to-hand -hand combat. I don't know what it means to stick a knife into someone and draw the last breath, but he had to do that a lot. <clears throat> he'd go away and drink, and he'd come home. I'd see him. He said, I'll be back in a minute, and that could be two days, three days, two weeks, three weeks. He came home one night. He was gone for about two weeks, hadn't shaved, sat in a chair in a drunken stupor, and he looked at me, and he said, Steve, do you love me? And I didn't answer him. I was watching the monkeys. Hey, hey, that's a generational thing you won't understand. He said, do you love me? And I didn't answer because I didn't want to get into a fight with him. Because sometimes I would say yes, he would say no. I didn't want to fight him, so I just kept quiet. A couple hours later, I'm in my bedroom looking into the living room. Saw my dad sitting in a chair in front of a television set. And the only lights I could see was the light from the TV. Gave him a silhouette. For some reason, I woke up, it was 10 to 12. I woke up like it was noon, wide awake, as I'm just staring at his silhouette. No fighting going on in the house, but I'm just looking. And I saw a flame come out of the barrel of a gun and heard the whoo! My brother, who was about three or four feet away from my dad on the couch, he, he just lost it. He began to rock back and forth, scream, my God, he did it, he did it. My mom grabbed a, a towel from somewhere and put it to my dad's head, and he took a couple of breaths. That was it. I stood next to, him, the, next to my dad, looked at the pistols on his lap with brain matter around it and all the other gore that goes with it. And I looked at him and I said, this is a good man, but I don't want to end it this way. There's got to be another way to live. And I'm going to find it. A few weeks later, I was invited to a Assembly of God church. And this pastor said, uh, God loved, loves you. And I said, man, I need somebody to love me. God can give you a reason to live. I said, I need that because I have no reason. God can give you purpose. I needed that too because I had no purpose. When I buried my father, I never shed one tear because I was a street kid and I was told on the street, men don't cry. What an idiot. The greatest man I knew was Jesus and he wept. But I never shed a tear during my dad's funeral. 
But I went down to an altar. They had an altar call, and I went down to the front, and, and I knelt down to this altar, and I said, God, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you are, I want to know you. And as soon as I said that, the floodgates of my soul opened up, and I began to sob and sob and sob and sob and I wept all that pain and all that sin and all that disappointment and all that hurt and all that confusion I just wept it out and it seemed like God took a, a, a bottle of oil so it felt like liquid love the best I can say and he poured it on top of my head and it went right down my back and neck and and I was born again the Spirit of God came in my life the blood of Jesus washed away my sin and I stood to my feet. I thanked God. I said, sir, I promise I'll love you and I'll live for you for the rest of my life. And I have from that day to this day. Jesus makes a difference. I still love my dad. I still miss my dad. I can't fix it. Is my dad in heaven? I don't know. I hope he is. Only God knows what goes through someone's mind in the last second. Only God understands the bondage and the confusion and the pain. But if he's there, when I get to the pearly gates, I'm not much of a dancer. And it might be ugly, but I promise, when he says, hello, boy, I'm going to dance. Yeah. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to turn the service back over to the pastor. But... Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for every father that's here today. We're not perfect men, but we're good men. We're not perfect husbands, but we're good husbands. And Father, I thank you for the power of influence that a godly man has on his family for future generations. And Father, I just pray that you would encourage every dad here today who maybe the load has been heavy, the burdens have been tough, but will you refresh him? Spirit of the living God, would you touch him? Cause him, Lord, to be a champion in the eyes of his children. Lord, may he be a sweet man to his wife. Father, may you just encourage him to keep on keeping on, Lord, knowing that his strength comes from the Lord. There could be those here today that might need to make a phone call. Say, hey, Dad, it's been a while since I've talked to you. I want to tell you I love you. Maybe a dad might need to call a son or a daughter and say, honey, I need to tell you that I love you today. Heal relationships, Father. Heal homes. May we embrace each other tightly while we still have one another. And, Lord, if there are those here today you don't know Jesus, you don't know the love of this Father that I've been talking about. But you want to know that love. I'd love to pray with you. Just right where you're at, I just gonna, I'm just i just leading you in a prayer. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you're ready to say yes to God, I want God to be the master of my life. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of my failures. I need Jesus to forgive me and strengthen me and start anew. I, I need to be born again by the power of God. I need to know the power of His Holy Spirit. You're here today like that and you need Christ. And I just want to pray with you. That's all. I'll lead you in a prayer right where you're at. I'll lead you in a prayer. But when I do, 
It needs to be a life-changing prayer for you. That you determine that you're going to live for God. Is there anybody in the house today like that? You're not right with God, but you want to be. Just lift your hand as high as you can and wave it so I can see it. And I'll just say a prayer for you. Anybody like that here today? Raise it. Don't, don't worry about anybody else. You and God. You need Jesus today. I'd love to pray with you. Anybody here today? In the balcony? All right, I see that one hand back there. God bless you, sir. You can put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, let's pray for this one. I see that hand too. God bless you. Amen. I don't want to rush this. Make sure everyone's right with God. Anybody else? All right, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these two precious lives. And they're saying to God, right where they're sitting, they need Jesus. So folks, pray with me as we pray for them. Repeat this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me. You gave your blood to wash away my sin. Come into my heart and life. Save me. I ask you, to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. God bless you both. Jesus loves you. My wife and I are honored to be here with our dear friend in this precious congregation. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.